will remotely hack into my computer and then control all of the electronics in the room. And then Elizabeth, me, will respond to prompts via Google document on an Amazon Fire tablet that I installed a rootkit into. So now it runs like an Android. Got a gold Kentai bodysuit that only my eyes show through. And we started putting different elements on it. So now it has giant googly eyes and pieces of other material from the hardware store. Hello and welcome to Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast produced by Creative Panellists. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host. And here with me today is Elizabeth Baker, who is a musician, a composer, a Renaissance woman, a thought leader, and many other things. I do so many things. It's very weird for me to be called a a composer or a musician because I do so many different things as part of my practice. So you work with artists who are in different media quite often. You did some composition and performance for some pieces that were at the Skyway exhibit at the MFA. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I met Cassia Kite, who does something called sound stitching, whereby she reads an image up to down, left to right, and creates a color map. And then each one of those colors translates to a musical pitch. And so then she creates sort of a sketch of stuff, but she's not a musician. So I had many conversations with her really understand her aesthetic and her idea and where she's coming from with a lot of this stuff, and then created a piece based off of the information that she gave me. Dancers took that and created a dance piece. And you also do compose directly for dancers and collaborate with dancers very actively. I'm doing less of it because I'm now at a point where I'm traveling so much, I can't be in the dance studio sort of being an emotional support like 10 hours a week because I'm going back to concert piano land and I need to practice. Tenth Intervention, which is an ensemble concert series in New York, is presenting a work of mine which involves movement using these wireless MIDI controller rings that I have created for not the intended purpose that they were (laughs) originally meant for, but they are now synthesizers. So the violinist is doing a piece based off of MLK and the memorial that they had in Central Park after he died. I've choreographed the movement for her and the movement causes the synthesizer to react and do stuff and she's playing the violin and then the next day I fly to Montreal and I play a solo concert and then I fly back to Atlanta and drive gear back down to Florida performance as well as um, some student outreach because I like to work with students throughout the state of Florida and teaching them about experimental music. I might go to Mexico to do some musicology stuff and then I go back to New York. So So of course I have my own solo career of, you know, concert piano things that I do, which everyone kind of seems to forget that I am a concert pianist, not just a toy pianist. So when you do your concert piano performances, is it your original work or is it other composers' work? So it's a mix of both, fortunately and unfortunately. Most programmers want my music, but I feel that that's like super narcissistic and I don't feel comfortable just doing, hey, it's the Elizabeth A. Baker show and thanks for coming. That's just weird and gross to me. 
So I have friends that have written pieces for me. I signed with a record label called Arcade Music in LA. As a child, you trained as a pianist and any other instruments? I went to school for classical guitar performance. Okay. Cello was my secondary instrument in college. And then of course I play Indian harmonium, toy piano. I'm quite adept with both analog electronics and digital. So I actually do a lot of my own coding through a program called Max, which is visual programming software. My duo partner uses Super Collider, so that means that I had to get some Super Collider knowledge going. And uh, whereas Max is a visual programming software, Super Collider is line-based. So it's, you know, think of like Python and old school. I went to production school, obviously. And so engineering is, it's an art in of itself. So you had all these instruments mm -hmm. and you went to production school. My last year at Florida Southern College, because that's where I was going for classical guitar performance, I realized pretty quickly that most classical musicians have no idea what happens on the other side of the glass and that most engineers don't know how to talk to a classical musician. Like a common problem will be the cellist says, well, my instrument doesn't sound like my instrument. What they're really saying is there's not enough reverb in my cue mix, can I have some more reverb? But it's two different languages and that causes a lot of wasted time and money. And so I wanted to really move into having those conversations so that I could sort of be the Rosetta Stone between mm. the sides of the glass. Because I had already done all of the music theory and music history, when I came back to do production school and I went to St. B College to do production, what happened was I was sort of given carte blanche. They said, take whatever class you think is going to make you a better artist. And so then I started looking at Pro Tools, not necessarily as just a means for recording things, but as an instrument in of itself. Oh, because they said to you, do what you need to do to become a better artist. They didn't yeah. say to you, do what you need to do to become a better technician. Yes. I mean, they really gave me a lot of freedom. So one of my capstone projects included me doing a set of pieces for prepared piano. And this was not something that I had planned to do. Um, <laughs> it was something that uh, my mentor, Dave Greenberg, said, you know what, I think you should do some prepared piano pieces. And I was like, whoa. I said, I would like to do a concert of my piano works and I would like to involve the entire piano department and alumni piano students. And so that happened. Talk to me about toy piano. So toy piano, it, it came into my life in some very interesting ways. Because I always say I was the last of the Mohicans, I was the last guitar performance major that Florida Southern College has ever had. That meant I was the only one in my studio. <laughs> which means I spent an inordinate amount of time with my two guitar instructors, uh, Mark Switzer and Eddie Lugo. One day I actually sat down and counted it and realized that I was performing in lessons and master class and ensemble with my teachers for six hours every Friday. So <laughs> I had a lot of time on my hands on not Fridays. I mean, obviously I was practicing, uh, but my practice hours were different because I wasn't in band. I only had to suffer through chorus for like two semesters. And then 
I had all this sort of free time. So everyone else was in orchestra and everyone else was in band. And I was chilling in my dorm room, reading all the books on John Cage and listening to all the John Cage things. So I knew about toy piano because of John Cage's suite for toy piano, which has now become sort of the moonlight sonata of toy piano for toy pianist. And nobody wants to play it, to be perfectly honest. But for whatever reason, I didn't realize that I could purchase a toy piano off of Amazon. And then I had a friend who was at Juilliard and he was talking to me about toy piano and we ended up having a toy piano duo for a little bit. And so I had a toy piano because of that. And then also there was an experimental orchestra that asked me to have a keyboard based instrument that didn't require amplification that could be taken on tour. And so that's why I bought my first toy piano. And then it quickly spiraled out of control <laughs> um, because I was sponsored by the Shunhut Toy Piano Company. And I'm like, hey, Layla, I need to order like a 2522R. And all my friends are like, you know the model numbers? I'm like, oh, yes, I do. It's that bad. So now we're at eight toy pianos um, <laughs> for now. <laughs> there's, there's about one more that I'd like to get. You know, I had a toy piano as a child, but I'm guessing it's not quite the same thing. It is exactly the same instrument, but... Uh, Maybe they tuned it? No, no, no. There are some people that tune toy pianos, and I say, why? If it's too low of pitch, you have to get, like, diamond metal files and metal, like, file down the tines, and that just takes forever and is unnecessary. And if the pitch is too high, you have to lower it with, like, wrapping solder or or metal wire around the tine. And again, it's too much, it's too much. The beauty of the toy piano is that it's imperfect. And that's why I have eight, because each one has their own personality and can be used for different things. So how many keys on a toy piano? It varies. So presently I have two 18 key toy pianos and then two concert grands, which are 37 keys another grand that's 37 keys, and then three 25-key tabletop toy pianos. So you've toured mm -hmm. toy piano, and you've written a book. Mm -hmm. and Two books, actually. Two books on how to play toy piano. No, the first book is actually on toy piano. The second book is a collection of what I call musings, because they're not straight-up poetry. Some are like essays, some are just quotes to think on paired with photography that I've done throughout the years. And it's really, I call it almost like a coming of age of what it's like to be an artist. And I mean, I had a very interesting artistic run because I'm an African-American woman doing experimental things, which there are not many of us uh, in the world. <laughs> described your path. You had all these instruments and then you went to St. Pete College and you did production. There's both an element in what you're saying that sounds accidental and then there's an element in what you're saying that sounds very planned. I sort of just let the art lead me and I believe very strongly. I'm, you know, Christian Catholic, so I believe that everything that I do is set 
before me, if that makes sense. So there's a concert pianist, Jade Simmons, who's also one of the only other African-American female concert pianists in the entire world. And she has a book called Audacious Prayers. And what she talks about is that those of us that, you know, believe in Christianity, we are not meant for normal lives. We're meant to boldly go forward with purpose because that's what's asked of us. And now I'm not trying to push like everyone should be Christian, blah, blah, blah. But I am trying to impart the message that love and, you know, community and all those different things can be sent out through my actions, through my art, by the way that I interact with people after a performance. And so we're called to live beyond the ordinary life to do the extraordinary. And so I firmly believe that that's part of my calling. A lot of people live in fear and I don't live my life in fear. (laughs) I think that when you make decisions about your life based on fear, when you have all these people saying, oh, you should have a plan B, that's their fear that they're trying to project upon you. But if you truly believe this is what you're supposed to do and you move forward audaciously, Like, there's nothing that you can't achieve. I used to have recurring dreams about me performing on piano on a stage, which is weird because I was a classical guitarist. And so when I finished my last jury for classical guitar, um, you actually have to grow the nails on your right hand and you keep the ones on your left hand short. And I actually just cut off all the nails on my right hand and I went through a little bit of like, what am I going to do with my life? I don't do well with structure in the way that it's imposed on this is how I have to think and live my life. I do much better when a professor or whoever says, these are possibilities and then lets me explore them independently. So I had a little bit of a quarter-life crisis. And I ended up going back to piano because, like I said, I kept having these reoccurring dreams. And so uh, when I went back to St. Pete College, I mean, I was practicing about eight hours a day on piano. So Did you play piano as a child? Yes. I was very much into Peter and the Wolf. That was my jam. I wore out like three cassette tapes on Peter and the Wolf. (laughs) And We went to see the orchestra, and I was still very young, but, you know, I was quite advanced because my mother being British, she raised me a little bit differently than the average American child. And I said, I want to be the dude with the stick. My mom said, you should probably take piano lessons. And almost immediately I was composing my own music, but I had a crazy Russian piano teacher who would like slap my hands and say, no, you have to play what's on the page. So that, that was about four and a half. Mm-hmm. And so from there I got what I needed. And then I said, I don't think I want to go back to piano lessons anymore, but I still practiced uh, quite extensively somewhere around 12 or 13, I said, oh, I don't want to play piano because everyone's playing pop music on the piano and Coldplay is doing stuff and I don't want to be a part of that. So then I picked up classical guitar and I did that all the way through college. 
and my last year, as every classical guitar major in the entire world does. They say to themselves in an existential crisis, I'm about to get a degree in classical guitar. Job prospects. None. Because basically you have to wait until somebody in like an academic position dies. I had three secondaries because I was insane. So I had voice as a secondary, cello as a secondary, and piano as a secondary. I've never heard you sing. I uh, try not to sing because I have a contralto voice. And so I have I have a project that's called Suitcases of Sound and people quite like it. It's very different. It's like, I call it almost experimental electropop. But every time people listen to it, they're like, oh my gosh, that guy has a great voice. I'm like, that's that's me. I don't alter my voice at all in any of the recordings other than adding some reverb, but everyone's always like, that that man has such a great voice. And you're just like, thanks, I'm a woman. <laughs> so, and, and coming from classical guitar, I mean, it's, it's a really heavily male-dominated society. Like, I would go to symposium or whatever, and it's all men all the time. And then I went to production school and it's pretty much all men all the time. Why do you think that production school and guitar are so male-dominated? A lot of it comes from the way that we're brought up, uh, which is why I think it's really important to do a lot of work with different age groups and particularly young girls and particularly African-American young girls because they need to know that there's more than just Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and whatever out there. And I'll go in and I'll bring different electronic things and introduce them to that. But if you don't have that access at an early age, I mean, I was listening to Rite of Spring when I was seven because I figured out what a record player was and I just started taking my mother's records and listening to them. But, you know, if you don't have that experience early on, it's really hard. You have that fire very early on. What was the starting point of you as a professional artist? Well, when I was in music school, I was already starting to tour. I think that it is important and imperative that music students exist outside of music school because there is such an insular thought pattern that goes on. And I adjudicate for a lot of academic conferences and they ask me to adjudicate because I'm the outside voice that says, mm, this piece sounds exactly like this piece and who's expressing their idea really? Like, how are you getting to that different thing and, and what are you exploring or are you just doing what is trendy? I had already decided okay, I'm going to go on tour and I'm going to, you know, do solo electronic music and I'm going to, you know, meet all these different people. How did people. you make that happen? Lots of emails, <laughs> various connections. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a similar process to what I do now. I, I do research on the various places that have concerts that might be similar or might be accepting of what I'm doing. I email someone and then I follow up with a phone call. And then I email them what's, again. What's what the initial email says? I normally say, you know, I'm Elizabeth A. Baker. I am a new Renaissance artist based in St. Petersburg, Florida. I am looking to perform on your series or at your university, perhaps present a lecture. And then I have the world's most 
detailed proposal, almost like a catalog of here is my biography, here's press, here's audio samples, video samples, and then here's a bunch of abstracts of what I can bring to you. But I always leave the door open to negotiate. So while those are suggestions of programs that I might bring, if they have students that perhaps want to work with me on toy piano because it's not very often you have a professional toy pianist in your midst or an electronic person, somebody that does interactive electronics, you want to exploit that Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you want to give that to your students. Mm -hmm. So I'm always willing to sort of morph things to what is needed by the community that I'm going into. As every young child does, I had a band at some oh, point. Oh, I did not know you had a band. It's a very well kept secret. I was like, it's gonna be great having an all girl band until everyone gets a boyfriend. And then it's problematic because people are texting their boyfriends during rehearsal. And I was writing all the different parts because I also played drums and bass and all that sort of stuff. So I was having to teach all the band members the parts. And I said to myself, okay, if I'm doing all the parts anyways, there has to be a way for me to perform this as one person. So I discovered Ableton Live and live looping and all that sort of stuff. And I was able to create my own sound and not have to deal with a lot of people. I like to collaborate, but I also like a lot of solitude. Mm -hmm. That's why I like to go on tour by myself. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, I don't understand why you like to drive like 13 hours between gigs. I'm like, it's great thinking time, you know? As a pianist and a classical guitarist, we're loners anyways. I mean, you're not in ensemble with everyone. You don't require other people necessarily to perform. So you crave that at a certain point, and that's the grounding place for you. The difference really between a concert pianist and like a keyboardist or even jazz players is that concert pianists are responsible for every single note in a piece. And every note is an actor that has its own space on the stage and its own dialogue and monologue that it's going to do. And you have to let it have its own, like you have to build that character and that character comes from a touch. And that touch is something that we learn and refine through something as silly as scales. There's a lot of visual art that I've been influenced by. There's a piece by Christopher Watt that's in the Jacksonville Museum of Modern Art. And most people pass it by. It's called Four Planes Assembled. And there's four different planes that have different size blocks counted one through four. And to me, when I saw it, I thought about how each person is living in the same quote unquote reality, but experiencing time in a very different way. So the larger blocks are people that experience time very slowly. And the smaller blocks are ones that people experience very quickly. So I created a piano piece, which ended up being studied at USC Thornton for their doctoral piano literature class. I created musical planes and then a physical manifestation that they can fold all of these planes and create the piece that way. 
so each performance is different. Oh my goodness. And it's like an evening long work. Wow. I came up with the idea of a new Renaissance artist because actually a dancer introduced me as the composer of a film. And I said to myself inwardly, I felt like claustrophobic in that term because I write, I do photography, I do all these different things. And on the one side, there's too many slashes. Like my email signature would be a paragraph if I really indulged all the things I did. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll be a multidisciplinary artist, but that doesn't really explain what I do. And a mentor of mine famously said, humans change their molecules every seven years. Elizabeth changes hers every seven months. And that is the truest statement about my practice. I'm always in a space of regeneration. And so I thought about Renaissance and the Renaissance period when you had to know science and math and all these different things, which I'm actually very interested in all those different studies. And so I liked the term Renaissance and I thought about the Harlem Renaissance. And then I thought about the dirty Renaissance fairs with like the turkey mutton. And I came up with new Renaissance because it's new, it's Renaissance, but not the Renaissance fairs. So. Right. Elizabeth Baker, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners. Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. And if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.